Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody. And once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening. Uh, going to starting things off, as mentioned, uh, with a great discussion on the Coach's Corner panel, and I'm very excited uh, to have a great professional who's become a friend now for the last several years, uh, joining me uh, for kind of a, an up, intimate, close, whatever you want to call it, uh, discussion on, on Coach's Corner panel, but we're going to do that tonight. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by a life member of the PJ of America, Ty Anderson. He's going to be joining me a little bit later on the broadcast. I'm excited to uh, uh, to have him on the show. He um, was uh, previously up here for many, many years running the Ty Anderson Golf Academy at the uh, Highland Oaks uh, Golf Course, which is one of the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail uh, products uh, here in Dothan, Alabama. And uh, he's now back in Florida. We'll talk to him and see what he's up to now, and, and plenty of other things as well. But he'll be joining me on the second half of the program. I'm excited to have him here uh, on the first time. But let me uh, introduce uh, my good friend. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Clint Wright. He's a 30-plus-year member of the PGA and one of the partners at TGM Golf. Uh, they're a big proponent of the R3 approach, and I consider him to be certainly among the best covering the short game and a favorite guest here on Coach's Corner. So without further ado, let me... Uh, bring on my very special uh, panelist guest, if you will, on Coach's Corner, Clint Wright. Good evening, Clint. Uh, glad to be here, Ted. It's going to be a. This should be a nice show. Hopefully. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, we. Don't, <laughs> as you said, as we said, we can we can go back and forth with the best of them. So we'll have a. Yeah, we'll have a good show. Oh yeah. So I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. I'm going to split the, the the hour up in into two segments. Uh, we're going to talk about a few different. Uh, trouble shots that uh, the folks might be uh, um, uh, faced with out in the golf course, uh, and and then we're going to talk about some approach shot strategies, uh, and something we haven't done before on the show is really talking about how to attack the various uh, holes we might be faced with, and and uh, and I'm going to throw out some stats there as well that a lot of people might be surprised about. So we'll, we'll do that uh, on the second half of the show. But um, let me get right into uh, tonight's discussion, and let's talk about one of the uh, trouble shots you don't hear too much about. We always talk about bunkers, uh, but this one here is the fairway bunker lie, but an uneven. So obviously, uh, sometimes you might be faced with that. Bunkers uh, can be a beast for some people. They're actually easier shots than what a lot of people give them credit for, Clint. But um, nevertheless, we're going to try and see if we can help them out here. But um, an uneven fairway bunker lie. First off, there's a couple of different things that people need to know. Uh, with dealing with this uh, scenario, and, and then also the fact that it's uneven, 
uh, adds a whole different uh, uh, approach to it as well. So give us some thoughts about that, what we might be faced with, and what are some good options uh, to consider uh, when you're trying to tackle that uneven fairway uh, bunker. Look, I don't really see a whole lot of difference in how you would play an unlevel bunker play versus what you would play a, an unlevel lie in the fairway. I mean, the, the physics of the swing and the shot is pretty much the same. In fairway bunkers, uh, we're wanting to hit the ball first like we do in the fairway. Um, most likely, we may want to add a little bit of club face because we're not going to um, – we maybe not quite catch it as well as where our perfect shot would be, so we'd want to maybe play a little extra club where we could choke down on it, get a little bit better control uh, of the swing itself. But as far as just the the play of the hole, I mean, what I see, and you're correct, greenside bunkers is the easiest shot in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people won't believe that until you show them how to properly hit them, and they go, oh, this is a little easier than I thought. So you're absolutely correct there. <laughs> but what I see a lot of times people do in the fairway bunkers is, you know, we, we dig in to get really good footing in, in, in the bunkers around the green, but that also helps me get the club to enter the, the turf or the sand, I should say, before it gets to the ball. So we want to lower ourselves a little bit, which is helpful. But on, in fairway bunkers, I see people doing the same thing, and it almost guarantees you that they're going hit, to hit it fat. They're going to hit right. right behind it. So I'd be very cautious to of digging in my feet too much in a fairway bunker, just maybe particularly get a little bit extra footing in your trail leg to where you can maintain good balance on the backswing and not not uh, slide away from you. Um, but I, I don't see that there's a tremendous amount of special effects that need to be done in a, a fairway bunker um, compared to what you might do in unlevel lies in the fairway. Um, you know, if it's a downhill lie in the bunker, I mean, you got to add a lot of loft to make sure you get the ball up over the lip of the bunker, things of that nature that are that are very um, situational. But as, in general, they're not that much different in how you play them if you, you had the same kind of unlevel lie in the fairway. And I think that may be one of the things that people make a mistake at trying to do something special. Just set up on the ball like you normally would. Put it in. Put it in your stance. You know, if you got a little downhill, you know how how you want to play it, um, or uphill. You know, you can get away with a little bit less loft possibly. But those are the same things you deal with in the fairway. So don't overthink these fairway bunker shots, and particularly just get solid footing, not a dug-in footing. I think is is the, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make. Yeah, uh, and you're exactly right. And just to touch on a couple of points that you mentioned, I think the trail foot, again, for you right-handed players, that would be, of course, your right foot and left foot for the left-handed folks. But, uh, you know, it's okay to plant that a little bit more than maybe the left, just, again, to avoid swing uh, or sliding into the back swing. But you're right. You don't need to to dig your feet in like you would typically for a, a, a greenside bunker, um, you know, because, you're, again, you're likely going to put yourself in a situation. And, and really the only thing you have to guard against there, and it, it doesn't happen all the time, but there is a, some courses that do that, um, and they might have an, an extra high lip uh, on the front, and you've got to make sure you select enough club to get over. And the other thing, too, I think, to Clint, to keep in mind, is you, you really know your yardage, too. You have to understand how far you're away uh, from your target. If you're trying to go for the green, and you've got a long fairway bunker shot, and you've got a high lip, 
maybe the best approach is not to try to go for the green because you're going to run the risk if you don't get it up uh, and over and you get enough club to, to get that far, then you're going to end up falling short or you're going to end up maybe even staying in the bunker. So it might be you know advantageous so to really look at what the options are and maybe consider laying up, getting it out of the bunker, advancing it down the fairway, but getting into a, a, a better approach situation than trying to go for it and getting into all kinds of trouble. So a lot of things to think about there, but you're exactly right. Play it much as you would uh, an uneven lie uh, on the fairway. Difference being is you're not going to get as crisp a shot as you would if you're hitting it off the turf. Um, but uh, well said. Um, and, and then this is another one, and again, it, it, this is going to be more applicable, I think, uh, in, a, in a, a traditional bunker, greenside bunker. But this is one that stymies a lot of people, and that's if the ball's buried. Um, maybe give us some options here. Um, what have you found that works the best getting this out? Because, you know, a lot of people get that ball buried in. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do with the club, where to maybe put it in their stance, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts here on a buried bunker line? Well, <clears throat> yeah, it's a very difficult shot to begin with, depending on, again, the situation. If I've got a high lip on the bunker, uh, I have to play it a little bit different. We can come back to that. But if I've got a low lip, I can play it a little bit different as well. The main thing that we find is if you're talking about a buried ball versus what we call a fried egg, they're, they're kind of two situations. Um, right. If you've got a fried egg type, you know, where there's a crater, um, mm-hmm. I've always tried to teach people <clears throat> that if you want to make a, a difficult a difficult shot, we would have left the sand out of the bunker. You know, there's a hole. And if right. it'll just left it the plain old dirt, that would have made a really hard shot. So if you look at it this way, that somebody put some sand in this bunker to help you get it out. So I've always wanted to try to figure out how I can use the sand to make this ball go out of the bunker. This is very similar to the ballistics of a of a, a shotgun shell, you know, that there's got to be some ballistics of the sand because if I can take the sand that is behind that ball and move it out of the bunker, the ball's going to be in front of it. It's going to yep. be out of the bunker too. Now, so I have to be very aggressive on these fried eggs or buried shots. I want us not utilize the bounce quite as much. So I may actually turn the toe of the club in a little bit to help it dig. I want to be able to get that club digging, not bouncing. Okay. So, therefore, I can take that sand and move it out of the bunker by digging it out and pushing the ball out in front of it. Now, when we do that, the ball's going to hit the ground running. You're not going to get any spin on it. So, you really, it's almost like on all these shots, you, you've heard them talk about the chunk and run. We, yep. we really want to chunk and run it. Uh, and sometimes when the lip of the bunker is a little bit high, it just may take you two to get it out, you know. Um, because you can't quite get the elevation on those shots as you would a normal bunker shot. Uh, so, again, the whole concept is situational, but the general thought process is move the sand out of the bunker, get the club in a little bit more of a digging profile versus a bouncing profile, which means we're going to square it up a little bit more, and get it out of there. Just go be, be aggressive. It's going to hit the ground running. you got a tough break. Don't let it multiply. Get it out of there. No matter where it ends up, unless it's in the water or somewhere else, it will be okay. Even if it runs across the green and goes into another bunker, that's better than you trying to, you know, leave it in the one you're in. 
because most of the time it's going to hang up in the fringe or on the green, and you can maybe make a long putt or two putt and and uh, just ride it off to a bad break, you know. But, again, let the sand be your friend. Let the club have a little bit more of a digging profile and be aggressive and use the sand to get that ball out of the bunker. Yeah, I think that's, okay. you know, that, that's so, uh, you know, what, what a great answer because, uh, again, I think a lot of people complicate the process. Uh, they see that sand and right away they think, gosh, you know, what am I going to do here? And really just understanding the proper techniques of how to do things and realizing that the shots are easier than what people make them out to be. If you look at, um, you know, if you listen to a lot of the, the top pros over the years, um, I've heard many of them say, that I would rather, if I was hitting my approach shot and I wasn't going to hit the green, I'd be okay if I got in the bunker. Now, obviously, they don't want a deeply buried lie or they don't want to have a complicated shot, but they're okay hitting it because they know that they can get it out. They know they can get it out, and depending on the lay that's of right. the land, uh, they can you know get a little backspin. If it's plugged in, like you said, then that's a different... Uh, but again, they'd rather have that than have it go into the water or get into some other out-of-bounds or what have you. So... Um, bunker shots are not really as tough as people make them out to be. It's just most people don't understand what they need to do to hit them. Um, one last question on bunkers, and this is one, too, that, you know, that I get uh, a lot, and you've probably heard over the years as well, and that is the difference between wet sand and dry sand. For the most part, you know, it's, it's pretty dry, but every once in a while, uh, you know, that, that uh, greenskeeper's got the, the water going on and the bunker gets a little bit packed, um, and, uh, you know, it's a little bit wet. Is there anything different we need to know here? Well, yeah, again, I know we keep coming back. It's all kind of situational a little bit. But just to, 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 before we get into this one caveat of what you just said, you know what most people have fear of bunkers is they never practice them. They never learn the yep. techniques. Because many times golf courses don't have practice bunkers. Some do, some don't. But I've always encouraged people to do this. Hey, go out late in the evening one time, get the rake, don't leave the bunkers all messed up, and go out and play two or three holes, and every green hits the bunkers. You just learn, and I hate to say this, but you might be able to learn a little something by talking to your, you know, watching a YouTube video or something. But most importantly, talk to your local pro. They'd be more than happy to help you learn a technique to get it out and practice it some. We, you know, we, we don't do those things. But as far as wet sand and dry sand, it, it's obvious that is if I've got a dry sand, uh, the club is going to glide through it much easier. So I'm going to probably, again, use more of a bounce profile to get the club to slide through it, uh, which is, should give me a little more spin. Ball's going to be a little bit more elevated. Now, with the wet sand, I'm not going to get that gliding through if I use the same bounce profile, I'm gonna it's gonna bounce off that that wet sand, and it's gonna just blade the ball. I mean that's what's gonna happen. So with wet sands, you don't need quite as much of a um, a bounce profile in the setup, and you're probably gonna have to try to hit a lot closer to the ball than what you would mm -hmm. with soft sand. All right. Now what I personally try to do is when I have a wet sand is I try to set the angle a little steeper to where the club yep. is coming more down through the ground than it is, you know, down and into the ground versus level and through it. 
Okay, so if I get a little bit more of a, a vertical downward motion or angle of attack, if you want to say, it should be more vertical with a wet sand. So I'm going to pick the club up a little bit more. Therefore, the club is going more down into the sand and popping the ball up versus going through it and bouncing off of it. Okay, so big difference, a little bit different. You know, we used to talk about having a V-shaped swing and a U-shaped swing. Okay, U-shaped, you know, or... or U-shaped can be more for dry, dry sand, the V-shaped more for wet sand. So if you can visualize that, then you get a little bit better idea how to manage those situations. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great analogy, a great visual um, to have because you're exactly right. Uh, again, it all comes down to technique and, and understanding your situation. And I think the, the best way to, to be able to handle this is to get out and practice it. You're right. Uh, I mean, I go up to the range, and probably out of 100 people I'll see out in the range at any given time, maybe three will go in the bunkers. And right. even even some of the junior golfers that I know are playing in, in tournaments and things, I don't even see them in the bunkers. I'll see them hitting golf shots. I'll see them on the putting green hitting some putts, which is great, but very rarely do I ever see them going to the bunkers. And, you know, maybe they don't think they're going to get well, into too many bunkers. Yeah. I don't – right, go ahead. There you go. <laughs> they hit it better, you're not going to be in a bunker. But when they get in one, you can count on it. It's at least, it's at least a one-shot penalty. Right. They don't know how they, to get out. Right, exactly. So, you know, most of, most of the courses, not all of them, but most of the practice areas um, have, uh, have somewhere uh, – have a, a practice bunker that you can use and, and – you know, I, what I used to do, you know, because a lot of people are a little bit skittish about that. You know, they've bladed the ball a few times out of the bunker. They're a little bit nervous. They don't like to have a lot of people around. So what I used to do when I was a youngster is I would go to the course a little bit later in the day, um, you know, late afternoon before right. it's, uh, you know, before the sun's going down, maybe give myself, you know, 30 minutes or something. When the course isn't as busy, people have gone, it's after dinner. Like in the summer months, you've got the sun until 9 o'clock at night. Go up there about six thirty, seven o'clock. People are home for dinner. You've had something to eat, and get out there and work on some of these things when the courses are not quite as busy. Um, if you're if you're worried about those types of things, but um, um, that's what I always used to do, and, and I found uh, it, it helped me. So uh, here, here's one too. You know, we always talk about deep rough. You know, hitting the ball into the rough, but this one is one that uh, again kind of stymies a lot of people. Um, you know, they're trying to go for the green. They hit it into the rough, and it's just off of the green. So now they've got to maybe chip the ball. Uh, uh, so if you've got to chip the ball um, and you've got some, some deep rough, what do we got to do here? Well, you know, there, there's a, a, a number of different concepts I think that people have. And, again, here's, it's you have to judge how the ball is laying. If the ball is down on the ground, if it's already dropped all the way through, you know, depending on the type of grass you have, whether it's fescue or Bermuda, things of this nature. So it's hard to generalize about that shot. But the one general thing is I'm going to play it very much like a bunker shot. I'm going to use the bounce. I'm going to get that club in a really bounce profile. If the ball is setting up in the grass, I probably won't use as high lofted club because the, the elevation off the ground is going to mean I'm most likely going to catch that ball very high on whatever club face I use. The mistake I see a lot of people when we're out playing is they're over in this little, you know, we have Bermuda rough here, as you well mm -hmm. as you do as well. And so yep. the ball's sitting up, 
and they'll take their 60 degree out there, catch it high on the club face, which means they probably got 75 degrees effective loss. The ball shoots straight up there and goes about 10 feet. You know, and they wonder, well, I, I swung at it, but it didn't go anywhere. Well, there you go. So what I might try with that shot is taking my pitching wedge maybe or gap wedge, mm-hmm. go to a bounce profile, open the face up a little bit, and utilize that club that if I do catch it high on the club face, means I may have a, a 55 degree versus a 75 degree. So I get the ball flight I'm looking for. The other thing that you have to look for is the ball's not going to have any spin out of any of those lies. If the ball's sitting down, you've got to go in and dig it out, use that 60-degree wedge, lay it open profile, and go ahead and put it on the green somewhere. Okay? Be aggressive. Uh, I see so many people that get in those shots and they desell and just go because they're afraid of it. They're, they're afraid of where it may go. And, but go ahead and make an aggressive swing. Put it on the back side of the green if that's all you can do, but, but get it over the front edge of the green. Give it a chance to get on the green. But if they will utilize the idea of, okay, where am I going to catch this ball on the club face? Am I going to catch it on the bottom or am I, this ball sitting up really high? I'm going to catch it high on the club face. Then that's going to dictate maybe which club I want to use. But no matter which club I use, I'm going to set it up in a little bit of a bounce profile, which means that the toe of the club is going to be a little bit up and, uh, that'll help me pop the ball up out of the out of the the grass, but it's not going to give me such an effective high degree of loft that I can't get the ball to move forward. I need it to go up and forward, not just up. Okay, um, and so those are those are tough shots. I mean, you just have to give you. That's a place where you don't want to let a bad break or maybe one bad shot multiply into a couple more. Put the ball around the green or on the green if you can, um, but utilizing different clubs to do it than you may think, again, based on where the ball's sitting in the grass, high or low, uh, and give your putter a chance to, to bail you out. Now, you know, it's got to – like we have a, a state of, uh, saying, one of the guys I play with all the time, he says, well, it's got to stop somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So why not let your putter stop in the bottom of the hole? Give yourself a chance. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a good that's a good uh, a good scenario to have. You got to stop somewhere. Um, it, you know, I think it also uh, Clint boils down to, and we, we've talked about this before, is you know when you're assessing your your game overall, you you need to have an understanding. And I always say, sort of um, break your game into thirds. And what I mean by that is if if the a high um, if you're if you're low, I'm going to start the low rather. If the first third is a um, high risk situation that you're a very low have a very low percentage of success of pulling that shot off, then don't do it. Look at an alternative. If the second third is sort of the medium range of percentage, so it's maybe 50% of the time uh, you can pull that shot off depending on where you are and, and the circumstances, you might want to risk it, again, depending on the level of the shot. If it's a high risk, or sorry, if it's a low risk in the top percentage, um, so say a 70, 80% chance likelihood that you're going to be able to execute that shot, then you can do it. So you need to kind of understand where you fit in, that thir- in those thirds. So if it's a high percentage in that mm-hmm. first third, don't do it. If it's a low percentage, um, or sorry, low percentage, meaning uh, 
that you're not um, a low percentage of you recovering uh, or executing that shot, then don't do it. If it's a high percentage of you recovering or getting that shot executed properly, then go for it. Step on the gas, as it were. And if it's somewhere in between in the middle range, then it takes a little bit more thought. And that's how I like to look at this at, at the game is is understanding where you fit in with things. So some some areas you might have a very low per, uh, percentage, and that's a, a, a no-go. Uh, other, other types of shots, you may have a very high percentage of success. So it's okay, let's go for that. And others, it may be, again, in between. So you have to really understand your game very well, and the only way you can do that is to get out and practice um, these different situations that you're going to be with so that you have, as yeah. you put it with putting, a benchmark. That's right. Yeah, you, you and, use a 30-30-30. I, I use 80-20. Mm-hmm. If there's an 80% chance of me pulling it off, I give it a go. If it's 20%, I don't. Sure. You know? Yeah, so, Yeah. you can do whatever yeah, whatever percentage right. works. Yeah, but but it's the same yeah. principle. It's just the idea is you have to understand what's the likelihood of you being successful in pulling those shots off. And if, if it's a very low percentage, right. like 20 in your case, uh, then you don't want to do that. And then you, you find an alternative. You play it play a, a little safer, and, um, and, and then you need to go from there. All right, this last one we're going to talk about, and then we're going to shift gears and talk about the, some shot strategies for, for approaches. Um, sure. And I'm going to mm-hmm. double this up here. Uh, a lot of times we find ourselves maybe uh, over to the left or right side of the fairway. We've got some trees blocking the way. Uh, depending on our options, some options we may be able to go over. Others may have to go under. Talk about strategy here. If you've got a situation, you can do both of them, but if you've got a situation where you've got to go over, what do we need to do here? If you've got a situation where we need to go under, or maybe you're actually in the trees uh, and you've got an opening, you might have to go under a branch or what have you. What's the technique? What do we need to do uh, in order to, again, depending on our percentage of success, uh, what, what steps okay. do we need to do for both of those types of shots? Yeah, I'm glad you threw that percentage thing in there because that was going to be the first thing I go to. Now, first thing you guys do is decide whether you can pull it off one way or the other um, because what you don't want to do is let one bad shot multiply into two or three more. Um, you know, I've always has looked at the, the fact in that particular case is uh, where do I want to hit my next shot from if I can't get it on the green? So that's one thing I'm looking for. So if I've got a shot where I need to get it down and under, um, again, I want to use the club that's going to guarantee me that it's going to be low enough. What I see a lot of people try to do is take a – if they, they really need to hit a low runner, they take their 6-iron out or 5-iron out try to move it back in their stance and hit a low 6-iron. Well, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So if I need to hit a low 6-iron, I'm going to take my 4-iron and play it a little bit behind center and go ahead and hit it um, because that's going to help me guarantee I'm going to get the flight pattern I want. It's not going to guarantee me I'm going to be successful, but it's going to guarantee me I'm going to most likely get the flight pattern I'm looking for, and then if I've got a big enough opening, I can move it on towards the green. I, I see a lot of people try to pull off the miracle shots here when in reality they just need to get it up around the, the green someplace and rely on their, the, their third shot ability. You know, pitch the ball up, again, use your putter. I mean, we've always been told that, that one good putt erases a lot of bad shots, and, 
and uh, that that's true. So again, with the higher lofted shots, again, I want to play the club I know are going to get me enough trajectory and loft to get it over the obstacle. Now, it may not get me all the way to the green or my target, okay, but it's going to get me over the obstacle that may help me at that point get it to where I think I've got a an easier shot to get the ball up and in from. Um, I, I, I see a lot of people that play that really doesn't factor in where do I want to play my next shot from. Get it to that location. Play the shots you can get to where maybe it's you're really good from 40 yards and you don't have a chance to get it on the green, then why would you want to hit it into 20 yards? Let's lay it back to 40 where you got your best shot working for you, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, if you just look at trajectories, you know, the, the basic thing is you want to move the ball back in your stance, choke down on the club, try to get a low trajectory, use the club that you can that, that's going to guarantee it, but then play the ball back a little bit. We all know, you know, if you need to hit a little bit of cut, then you're going to have more of like a bounce profile. The toe of the club is going to be flared out a little bit. If you need to hook the ball, we're going to give it a little bit more of that dig look. We want the club turned over where the toe is a little closer to the ball uh, line than, than uh, the heel. If you're going up, you just got to utilize enough loft to get the ball over to trajectory. Don't count on it. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, move the ball up in your stance a little bit. Yeah, that will help some, but you also, if you do it, you get it out outside of the, the rotation of the swing, then you're going to catch the ball a little thin, okay, and the ball's not going to go as high. So I've always tried to utilize the club loft on lofting shots versus moving the ball around in my stance. Play your normal shot, use the club that's going to give you the trajectory, and play from there. If you got to go down, you got some games you could play a little bit there by moving the ball back and, and working the club face a little bit. Well said, and what a great way to end that uh, segment, um, talking about some of the different trouble shots you might be faced with out in the golf course. Um, now we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, some approach shot strategies, uh, some things. Um, and before we get into that, I'm going to talk about um, really some things that people need to understand. So, you know, it's important to understand what, what the goal is for your uh, specific handicap. So as an example, if you're a 20 handicap uh, and you're playing with somebody in your group that's a five handicap, you shouldn't expect that you're going to hit as many greens as that individual is because they're a more accomplished player. Um, doesn't mean it can't happen, but it's not the likelihood is, is uh, not as, as high. And again, it goes to that percentage. And I just want to read out, this is based on some studies. This is sort of a general average. Um, it may fluctuate here and there a little bit, but it's, it's pretty accurate. So as an example, I won't read them all, but as an example, a 30 handicap player um, is likely, based on some of the studies and the percentages, is likely only going to hit about 6% of the greens that they go for. Um, 25 to 30 handicap might hit 10%. 20 to 25 might hit 12. 10 to 15 is going to get 27, so we're getting a little bit better. 5 to 10 handicap is going to get 30%, uh, sorry, 36% of the greens. And a scratch or better, uh, which is you're talking about your pros now, uh, they're looking at about 64% of the green. So what's interesting about this uh, is most golfers sort of fall in between that 10 and 25 handicap. So based on the statistics, then you should expect to hit between three to five greens per round. So if you're hitting that now, um, as an example, or even uh, maybe a little bit more, but thinking you should be hitting 10 to 12, well, think again, right? I mean, even the best players in the world 
are only hitting, you know, a little bit above 60% of the greens in regulation. Uh, you know, the average uh, uh, PGA Tour player uh, might hit 12 to 13 uh, greens per round. So we got to keep that in, in mind. So I want to, the first one I want to dive into, and the reason why I wanted to read that out is just to put some perspective in our, in our conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so our approach strategy is going to be different for the type of shot. So as an example, if we're hitting a longer range shot, Clint, uh, we want to think about the type of uh, how we want to play it for each hole. So it's important to know how far you hit each club. So this is an area that I think a lot of people really miss the boat on is if you're going to be hitting some longer shots. So as an example, uh, if you're hitting uh, what classifies maybe a longer range shot is anything over 175 or beyond, uh, what might we want to have as a goal? If we're that 20 to 25 handicap and we've got a shot that's 175 yards or over, what is our strategy going to be for a longer shot here if we know that we're probably only going to hit somewhere between three to five uh, greens in regulation? What are your thoughts here for some of our longer range okay. uh, shots? Oh, yeah. There, there's no question about it. Let me add one thing to your stats. If they really want to compare themselves to the tour player, the golf course that the, that the average person plays, the tour player is going to hit 100% of the greens in regulation because – you know, they, they're hitting 65% of the greens on some of the diff, most difficult golf courses in the world. <laughs> so right. you compare, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll plug a book here in a little bit, uh, but um, the first thing I would do, and maybe uh, quite a few players are already doing this, I would find somebody to sell my 3, 4, and 5 iron to, and I'm going to buy as many hybrids as I can. Yep. Okay, I'm I'm going to replace that three and four and five iron with whatever company's hybrids you want to get that will match those distances. Because I'll promise you, I don't have a three iron in my bag anymore. I got a four hybrid, and I love it because I can hit it about the same distance. I hit it higher. It's just easier to hit. So, first thing I would suggest if I was working with a person said, let's look at your equipment and see if you're giving yourself the best chance you got with your equipment. And then we're going to have to look at the fact that I, I have preached it for years, is that if you really want to shoot 90 or better, you know, all you have to do is get your third shot on every green and two putt, you shoot 90. Okay? Yep. That's mm-hmm. simple. You put your third shot on every green, and you two-putt, you shoot 90. And if you're any good at all, you're going to get your second shot on the green on par threes, and so you're going to shoot 86. So I want to be good with that third-shot club. So when I'm out there at 190 yards or 200 yards out, the chances of that being one of those three or four greens that I'm going to hit today is pretty slim. So my strategy is going to be I'm going to give this thing a go. I'm not trying to just back off and play very conservative. I'm going to give it a go, but I want to have an idea where I want to miss this thing to if I can. You know, do yeah. I? The other thing that people don't realize, I see very few hazards, particularly sand bunkers, behind the green. Most of it's all right. in the front. Okay? So if I can't carry those bunkers, I'm going to hit something to lay up short of them. I'm not going mm-hmm. to hit them in to a shot that we've already discussed tonight that people are afraid of, right? So I'm not right. going to play it into that bunker, okay? I'm going to lay it short of it, pitch on. I got a much better chance of pitching the ball closer, apparently, than I do hitting it out of the bunkers close. 
So then I'm going to play this shot. My chances of getting it over those bunkers, if I really hit my best four hybrid, it's just going to barely get over it. My three hybrid won't get up high enough. So why don't I just take my six iron here, lay it up short of those bunkers, and take my gap wedge or sand wedge, whatever you like to use, and put the ball up around the green. What most people miss, and and I, I've just gotten into this book here recently, and I would encourage if you haven't, to look at it. It's called Every Shot Counts. It's basically a book that explains shots gained and what proximity to the hole, no matter what shot you're hitting, has a major bearing, and we know this. So if I know that if I'm in a bunker, my proximity to the hole may be 20 feet, but if I'm out here in the grass and my proximity may be 10 feet, then that's the shot I want to hit that's going to get me closer to the hole to give my putter a better chance. So that's when I start looking at the strategies. If I can't get this ball on the green or my chances are slim, I'm going to get it on the green. Where am I the best at getting it as close to the hole as I can uh, in order to give my putter the best chance? Because we all know the closer the ball, you know, that old thing about how you want to make more birdies, we'll just hit it closer to the hole. You know, so if I if I can chip the ball closer to the hole than I could out of a bunker, all right, then I want to make sure that I'm chipping it, not hitting it out of a bunker. So my strategy on that second shot from 200 and something yards out is where is my best third shot at? That's where I want to be. Um, you know, now if you get it inside of that, if you're in let's say 150 yards, then I'm gonna I'm gonna play my yardage. I'm gonna put it on the green. But from those long distances, I see a lot of people try shots that really are not going to be successful. They end up in a bad spot, and the, their potential par or bogey turns into a double or a triple. Not because they yep. you know, can't chip or putt the ball, but they end up in a spot where it's just a very difficult pitch shot, and they're not going to pull that off. So now we've got another problem. We can't get it on the green from this hard spot when if they would have just been a little conservative and got it over into the easier pitch shot, then they got a much better chance of making par or, or, or at no worse, a bogey. Okay. Yeah, and, and you, yeah, you raised some really good points. And just to add to this, you know, if, if you're somebody that, and again, it goes to what we talked about, the percentages of, of you know, the likelihood you're going to pull this shot off. Uh, and I agree wholeheartedly, um, you know, get rid of some of those longer irons, stuff some hybrids, or even – uh, some other fairway woods, you know, five, six, seven, uh, you know, there's a lot of other options out there as well. Uh, but hybrids obviously, uh, I think are the way to go as well. But if you're, if you're in a situation where you've got a fairly open and receptive green and you want to try to go for it where you don't have a lot of bunkers right up front and there's not really a lot of hazards around, yeah. that's okay. But I would still suggest you aim for the widest part of the green. In other words, if the pins cut on the left, don't aim at the pin, aim for the fat part of the green. So that way, if you do make a mistake, you've got some, some room for error uh, either way. And, uh, again, depending on where you play. But I agree, if, if your percentage is very low that you're going to get on the green or close enough to, to the green without getting into some form of trouble, then lay up and lay up to that spot where your third shot is going to give you a better opportunity. Um, the next one down, obviously, uh, obviously is mid-range shots. So now we're talking maybe somewhere between 150 and 170 yards. Uh, again, I would say, you know, if you're going to go for it, stick to the middle part of the green. Um, if you're a little bit better player and you want to, uh, you know, go for, uh, go for it, that's fine. 
Um, but here's an example, and I just want to throw this out there, and then I'm going to let you um, touch on it as well. Uh, so as an example, if you're, say, 165 yards and you've got a back pin um, and a tough uh, bunker, let's say, um, and you miss it long, it's almost guaranteed a bogey or worse. So what I would say is if, if it's 165 yards, maybe play it 160, um, whatever club. Again, you need to know the, the yardages and maybe hit 160 yards so that way you've got a little bit room for error so you're not over-clubbing it. And even if you come up a little bit short on the green, uh, you've still got a putt, or even short of the green, you've still got an option either to putt it up uh, in and or chip it, um, but you're out of trouble. So, uh, again, what are your thoughts here mid-range? What are, you, what are your um, uh, situation that you would uh, tackle here? How does this differ from the longer range? Well, Ted, to be honest with you, I'm just going to agree with everything you just said. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, to be honest with you. Uh, as you always say, well said. Um, and, you <laughs> know, you. You're, you're absolutely correct. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's the way to play those shots. And to be honest with you, um, I, I think it's the benefit that, that everybody, until they may be inside of a full wedge, you know, when they're hitting that maybe 90 yards to 100-yard shot, I'm going to aim at the middle of the green most all the time. You know, I, I just don't want to be short-sighted. I want to hit the middle of the green. gives me the most room for margin of error, okay? You're absolutely correct. I'm going to play whatever my club will get me to the middle of the green, okay? That's the distance I want to play because if I can get it to the middle of the green, and unless they're just enormously sized grains, I'm going to have a pretty good putt at it. You know, 20, 25 footer all day long, I'll take that. Uh, I'll get a few a little closer and a few maybe not quite as close, but I'll have a chance with that. Now, obviously, if you're a more accomplished player, we can talk a different story. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're in that scratch to, scratch to five handicapper, then I'm going to go with Har- you know, Harvey Pinnock. Let's take dead aim. Right. For that 10 to 20 handicapper, let's get it to the middle of the green. Give yourself a chance. You know, it gives you more room for error, right or left. As long as you kind of got the distance right, uh, you're going to be okay. And and then, um, you know, go out there and make a bunch of pars. You're going, your your handicap's going to go from 20 down to 10. Uh, and, it's, and, and really a lot of people have the capacity to do that if, honestly, if they just played a little smarter. They don't have to really hit it any better. They just have to play a little smarter and uh, utilize what they have. Take what you got and make it work. You know, and what we're talking about here is that very fact. Take what you got and make it work to get the lowest score you can. And that's that's kind of where my third shot program came from was, hey, get your third shot on the green. If that's all you can do, two putt and, and you're a bogey shooter. You know, so yeah. you're, you're, what you said is uh, well said, and, and we can go on from there. Yeah, you know, I, I, again, it goes back really uh, to to what was said in the beginning, and that is really, you know, whether you do it 80-20 or in thirds, you know, it's really up to you, whatever works best for, for you as a player. Um, but you need to understand your abilities, and, and you also need to understand how far you're hitting each club and on, on a consistent basis, not just one goes 175 this time and the next one goes 155 and then maybe it's 165. You know, and, and maybe that's your six iron, and you're all over the place. Um, that's not really an accurate measurement. You need to have some consistency, obviously, but you need to understand um, what distance you're hitting uh, each of your clubs, 
So that way you can make an informed decision. And once you do that and you're able to do it with confidence, then a lot of these shots we're talking about tonight um, become a lot easier. And you're going to find that um, you're going to make a more informed decision. And that's not to say you're not going to make a mistake here and there, but you're going to make a lot less, a lot fewer mistakes if you have a better uh, mindset going in and have a, a somewhat of a game plan going in as well. Knowing, knowing what, what your abilities are and being confident with that makes a whole world of difference when you step out on that tee. The last one that we're going to touch on is, of course, obviously, is the short-range shots. And this is really anything under 125 yards. That may be your go zone. Um, and might even be, for some of you out there, might be a green light to the flag. So, um, But I want to add one little thing in here, and, and I'm going to get you to, to speak on. You know, you, you talked sure. about, you know, maybe throwing uh, some hybrids in there, and, and I agree with that. But if you think about this statistic, um, 60% of, of uh, certainly, again, give or take a percentage of all shots happen from when a, within 100 yards in. So keeping that in mind, mm-hmm. do you want to add another hybrid, maybe a long iron or another wedge? So some players typically might carry three wedges. Four wedges might be um, more suitable as opposed to throwing in a longer club. So those are th- some things to talk about. And also I think it's important that if you're going to carry, whether it's three or four wedges, that you have a space, a gap space, if you will, of really sort of three to five degrees apart. So you want to make sure that you're able to um, keep, you know, if you've got one wedge and you're hitting it one distance and the next one is 10 or 12 yards difference and then the next one is another 10 or 12 yards off of that, you might need to tighten that a little bit because that's not going to serve you well. So give me your thoughts on approaching for short game shots. This is in your wheelhouse. And what do you think about wedges, maybe having an extra wedge in the bag, and how do we keep that gap? down tight so we can make it effective. Okay. Um, you're absolutely correct. And a lot of the decisions you're going to make uh, will, will bear fruit when you determine what kind of course you're playing on. Okay. Uh, so different courses would require different kind of club selection. But if you're playing the, the you know, your home course majority of the time, it, it probably wouldn't take a whole lot of just a little bit of investigation, a little practice, and a little, little uh, trying to determine whether you'd, you would be better off with a, a different wedge or, or the hybrid. You know, um, I carry one high, I carry two hybrids, uh, kind of a five wood kind of play and then a short one. And I, I carry three wedges, okay, at the course I play. And, you know, it could very well be that a fourth wedge would, would benefit, um, but not where I play, the three wedges work fine. But here's one thing mm-hmm. you talk about, the gapping. Uh, just from, from my case, I can give you an example. All right, I, ha- I play a 52-to-50-degree uh, wedge, a 54-wedge, and a 60-wedge. Now, my 60-degree mm-hmm. wedge is something I use primarily out of the bunkers. My real workhorse wedge is my 54-55 wedge. Now, that just comes from historically when I was learning how to play, the only thing you had was a sand wedge of about 55 yards or 55 degrees. So that's what I learned to play with. It's what I have the most confidence in. And, you know, I can play games with that and lay it open a little bit, move it forward, move it back, as we learned over the years. But one of the things that people overlook is that I have three wedges, but I have nine to 12 different shots with those three wedges based on yep. where I grip the club, okay? And so, therefore, what I find that a lot of people should consider if they're going to add the fourth wedge 
is add possibly a wedge that's got a little shorter shaft in it than all their others, depending mm-hmm. on, um, depending because I'll be honest with you, my long wedge is a little longer than my 54 because that's a club I, I need to hit a little extra distance with. It's a gap in my game that I need to have a little bit more shaft in that club to get it to go the distance I want it to. I can always choke down on it, but I, I add a little bit of length to that, that shot to give me a little more leverage to get that club to go 100, and, 100 to 105 yards. Okay, I want the loft. I want to get it up there and hit it soft, so I need the extra length and leverage um, in the club to get the distance I'm looking for. So a lot of times it, it, the, the loft angle is important, but I think an overlooked specification in your wedges is the shaft length to get the shot that you want that club to deliver for you when you got it held at the end of the club. Okay, Then you can alter the shaft length to get you shorter distances, but not necessarily get a more maximum. So when I'm looking at my gapping, I want to have that gap to be based on end of the grip, you know, relatively a full swing. How far does this club take it? That's what I'm going to establish my gapping off of. Then, again, an overlooked spec, sometimes I might be wanting to deal with the shaft there a little bit more than normal. So double-check both loft angle and shaft length to try to help you figure out what that combination needs to be to get you the shot gapping that you want. Shot gapping could be, you know, my shot gapping starts at 115 and goes down to 60. Okay? Now, that's about what the shots that we're talking about. Inside of 60, we're talking more pitch shots or chip shots. That's more of a different technique. But when we're talking full swings, my full swing gapping is from 60 yards to 115. Now, those gappings are going to be different for everybody. And so it takes a little bit of work, a little bit of using your rangefinder, and trying to figure out just how far those full swing wedges that I have, whether there's three or four of them, based on loft angles and, and shaft length, uh, where the, how those things are gapping. Then once I have that data established that I have a 10-yard or 12-yard gap between my pitching wedge and my next wedge down, then I may, I may need to add a little bit of length in that second wedge as far as shaft length to get me that, to bring that gapping down to maybe five to eight yards. Right. You follow me? Yep. Okay. So there's a little bit of work you've got to do here, but I, I think one of the things that people have highly over underrated is shaft length when you get down to the gapping of the full swings. Once you got a gap properly on full swings, then the choke down or the little less leverage in those clubs should take care of itself. Okay? Well said, um, my friend. It's, uh, you know, it, 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 again, it goes down to really understanding your game and understanding mm-hmm. um, how each club can benefit you um, under different right. circumstances. Again, uh, you know, I remember Tom Kite famously uh, in a video years ago, uh, one of the videos that he did um, where he talked about the four wedges and how he would grip down, basically had the same swing, mm-hmm. uh, but got different yardages and was able mm-hmm. to utilize those That's four correct. wedges very effectively. And, you know, so you, you have to be willing to experiment. 
And, you know, this is a great way. I mean, obviously you, you want to get together with your, your golf professional and, and work on some of the specific fundamentals and so forth. But, you know, when you're not getting together with him or her, then you need to get out there on your own and experiment, you know, test things out. If you've got, you know, nowadays everybody's pretty much, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people have range finders and, and uh, are able to, right. to get the distance. And so jot that information down. There's a lot of great apps out there as well that can assist you with that. So, you know, there's really no excuse. With the technology that's available out there, there's really no excuse in getting those numbers together um, and, and keeping stats, you know, when you're out playing on the golf course, how many putts you're making, all that. And, and look at that information, you know, especially for some of you up in the Northeast, Matt, that maybe it's an off-season, uh, you know, coming up in a few months and you're not getting out to the golf course. Maybe you don't have the ability to, uh, uh, to come down here to, to Florida or, or some of the other southern states to play uh, as much as you'd like. Um, that's the time to start going through the numbers that you've accumulated over the, the last uh, several months out in the summer. So look at those stats, find out what information, and then communicate that with your golf professional and, and get a game plan for when you're getting ready to start out for the next season. So um, food for thought. I think we covered just uh, just about everything tonight, Clint. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I think we did. I think we did just fine, to be honest with you, Ted. I, I would hope that uh, people would take everything we said tonight and go out to the golf course tomorrow and start working on it because what we discussed tonight is so basically fundamental to becoming a better player, not necessarily mm-hmm. becoming a better hitter, but definitely fundamental uh, to becoming a better player. And, you know, the the best players of our game can always scratch out a a round, even when they may not have their, you know, their best striking. I mean, I I think that um, uh, Jordan Spieth, I can't remember what event it was, just here recently, hit nine greens in regulation and shot two under par. Now, I'm pretty sure he would told you he didn't hit it very well. But he scored okay because he played He played what he had and uh, got to the clubhouse with the best score he could have that day. And that's the whole idea. You know, we've talked about it many times. You know, take what you got and make it work today. Uh, Don't fight it. Just try to utilize it and and play smarter, not harder. Couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, Clint, as always, thank you very much for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel segment here in Golf Talk Live. And as always, here. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Uh, we've been doing this a long time and uh, always a lot of fun. And, and uh, you've, you've oh, been yeah. a regular now pretty much since day one, so I appreciate that and, and uh, sticking with me all no these problem. years. And uh, for those that uh, may be tuning in and want to find out how they can get in touch with Clint, uh, Clint, let them know the best way they can reach out. Easy enough, Ted. I'll, I'll be here with you until you run me off. But I, I really do enjoy it. So uh, they can just uh, ClintGoff001 at Yahoo.com. Just drop me an email. I respond to them pretty pretty quickly. And uh, if uh, if they're interested in having some different conversations, we can hook up by text or phone after that. So look forward to hearing from everybody if we can. All right. Appreciate it. Clint, as always, have a great uh, Labor Day weekend. Enjoy. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to get out and play a little bit. Uh, weather permitting uh every every day that ends in a y ted every day that ends in a y <laughs> i hear you i hear you all right my friend you have okay, a great right. uh, holiday weekend enjoy uh, enjoy hopefully some sunshine i'm assuming the worst of the storm has uh has uh gone up through your area and is back out in the atlantic and everybody's uh recovering uh, and uh yeah so 
All right, my friend, you have a good one, and I'll right, we'll see you next time on the Coach's Cool. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Clint. Take Bye-bye. care. All right, it was Clint Wright joining me on the Coach's Corner panel segment. When I come back, we will have my uh, very special guest of the evening, life member of the PGA of America, Ty Anderson. He'll be joining us here in just a moment. But uh, before so, we do that, uh, here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right. Um, Don't forget as well, uh, with Golf Tips Magazine, you can get both the print version and the digital version. So you just go to GolfTipsMag.com and you can get uh, either or you can get both, whichever you prefer. Uh, Also, a a quick program note just to let everybody know, uh, the last week uh, of October 27th through the 29th, uh, golf Tips will be holding a golf school at McLemore Resort, which is the top uh, lookout mountain in Georgia, and uh, yours truly is going to be hosting that. So if you're interested, uh, you can reach out to me uh, two ways, uh, by email at editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com. That's editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com for more information. Or you can call me personally. My cell number is area code 850-238-6130. I'll be happy to give you all the details. Um, it's going to be a good time. Uh, three of the top 25 instructors from Golf Tips are going to be there alongside me, and uh, lots of great instruction, uh, some uh, lodging and everything is included. Uh, we'll give you all the details if you want to reach out. And uh, But time's uh, running short, so you've got to make a decision here before too long. But, again, reach out to me at editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com or call me at 850-238-6130. All right, as I mentioned, a very special guest tonight. I met him actually at the PGA Merchandising Show I've seen him around uh, over the years, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. Uh, He's been teaching this great game for uh, the last 25-plus years. Uh, He's a life member of the PGA of America, and uh, he was operating up at the Highlands Oaks Golf Course at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail in Dothan, Alabama. He was operating the Ty Anderson Golf Academy. Uh, Prior to becoming a PGA member, he served uh, this country faithfully as an officer in the United States Air Force for over 23 years before retiring as lieutenant colonel. Uh, He holds a bachelor's degree in marketing from Boston College, a master's degree uh, in business from Central Michigan University, and the equivalent of a second master's degree in military education from Air University. Uh, Again, he's operated successful teaching academies starting in Florida, Massachusetts, Ohio, Alabama, and now he's back in Florida. Uh, Please welcome my very special guest this evening, Ty Anderson. Good evening, Ty. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing very well. Thank you for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. You got me up past my bedtime, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. So I'm getting I'm getting I'm old, there with I'm, you. I'm old. I'm, yeah, I'm old. What can I tell you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let let me first say before we get into tonight's discussion. Let me first say, as as uh, former military as well, uh, thank you very much for your service, and uh, can't uh, can't ever say that enough. Can't ever thank uh, the members of the military for all of their uh, efforts and, and loyalty and dedication to, to service, and I just want to thank you uh, for that. I know you're retired now, but uh, 
you put a lot of years in there. We want to thank you for that service. Well, thank you. That was not a lifetime ago. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, you've been do- you've been doing a lot. You've actually had several careers, if you put it that way. You've uh, <laughs> uh, wrapped up a, a military career. Now you've been doing golf for actually a little bit longer than that. So let me ask you, I guess, an obvious question before we get into uh, some of the specifics about golf. What was it about golf? Um, that really appealed to you? When did you first sort of get involved? I'm not talking about it from professionally, but just personally. When did you first sort of uh, get bitten by the bug? At what age? And how did you get introduced to the game? Uh, and what then made you decide that you wanted to to uh, give back by teaching others uh, this great game? I got bitten by the bug uh, when I got in the service, to be honest with you. Uh, before then, uh, when I grew up, really couldn't afford to do it. You know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, uh, it sounds like a lot of things some people would say. Uh, but as I said, I actually really wanted to be a hockey player, to be honest with you. Uh, I ended up playing uh, uh, semi-professional for about a year, and that's what I was hoping to do. And then I got drafted, but it wasn't by the NHL. Uh, it was by Uncle Sam. And that draft was right. kind of scary back in those days, believe me. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in the service, once again, I, I was military bases in the Air Force, and what do they say about the Air Force? Join the country club. Well, it's not too far off, believe it or not. Uh, so I get, but I get the, I, I was always competitive. I, I was, I was always wanted to challenge myself with things to do it. And guess what? What better game to challenge yourself with than golf? You know, and I, my, my whole thing, all my life, I've always said that, hey, it's me against the golf course. It's me against the golf course. Yep. I just want to go out there and, and do what I can do, do what I can do. So, but, uh, but that's what got me started. Um, my father was a, he played pro hockey for 15 years, years ago. He was on the Olympic team back in 32, had three uncles that were golf professionals, uh, but didn't know that at the time growing up. Uh, they never told you anything. So right. I guess it was kind of meant to be. I guess it was kind of meant to be. Let's put it that way. Well, so, uh, it, it, it sounds like. Go ahead. It, no, go ahead. I was just going to say very similar, uh, you know, upbringing to a lot of, uh, you know, folks that sort of got interest, in, introduced it early, maybe didn't always have the opportunity to play at the, the country club or whatever, but still got bitten by the bug anyways. And, and then you, you sort of got to a point after your, your career in the military, uh, then obviously you got uh, involved in golf a little bit more seriously and uh, began teaching. So what, what prompted that? Well, actually, I could, I could move the ball along pretty good, um, you know, when I was in the service. One, a few ter- ter- one tournament in the service, that kind of thing. Uh, played a very low handicap, but what I'm saying to you is, again, I challenged myself with what I wanted to do. And when it came time finally to get out of the service, um, I said, gee, I said, uh, I said, let's try something different. I was actually at Langley Air Force Base, and I was in the golf shop there, and the guys were talking about a, a PGA golf program. I said, what's that? And they said, well, here's the requirements that you have to do to get in the PGA and become a PGA professional. I took the one sheet of paper. I read it. Talked about going to these business schools, finding a pro to get you on your staff, uh, on his staff, that kind of a thing. But then what caught my eye is that back then I thought to be a professional, you had to be a scratch golfer. You had to, you know, just go out there and play. When I found out yeah. that there was a playability test involved in it, I said, hey, I could pass that thing right now. I was just walking out the door. I wouldn't have to worry about that. But I had no aspirations, no aspirations about playing on a tour. I really didn't because – uh, I didn't want to put the time in uh, to do the practices and stuff that they would have to do. My idea of playing is go hit 10 balls on the range and go on up playing a golf course, play on the golf course. It's me against the golf course whenever I go out there, and that's what I, that's what I love doing. But, uh, but that's how the whole thing started. So my wife said, uh, I went home, told her about it, and this is Deb for you. She says, let's go for it. So I put a little resume mm-hmm. together. 
uh, went down to Florida. Uh, this was before I got out. This was back, you know, I was getting to get out in July, but this was probably around not April. Walked, you went knocking on doors down there, try to get someone to get on the staff. And lo and behold, Jack McKelvey down at uh, Imperial Golf Course in Naples said, hey, I'll hold a job for you. Come on down and work for me. And I said, that's great. Well, I said, well, get me in the program. And he says, yeah. And I says, fine. Yeah, I'll do it. So yeah, I actually started my second career uh, on July 4th, 1992. I thought that was, was a neat day to start my second career. And uh, But my goal was always to be, I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach, but for the first three years that I was in the business as an apprentice, basically I was the guy running the golf course. Why? Right. And these were private clubs, by the way. Why? Because my, my bosses were teachers. They were, on, they were on the lesson to you all day long. So I'm the guy in there that's running it, facing the members and all that other kind of stuff. But I really, really wanted to teach. And finally, uh, I think it was so – I said, hey, listen, I'm going to get out of here. I'm actually going to go out on my own, have my military pension, which, which would let me do what I wanted to do. And uh, that's how I started. But uh, I've been teaching ever since. You know, and, I, and that's a great way to do it as well. And, and what I noticed really when I was looking through, you know, some of the information that you had sent me, what really caught my eye, I mean, obviously I know you've taught a lot of uh, individuals over the years, but what really caught my eye is you really uh, have become uh, someone that really enjoys working with kids. And, uh, you know, you offer, I, I remember, um, you know, I've seen you many times when you were up here in, in Dothan, Alabama, uh, you know, teaching up at the Highlands. And uh, I remember many uh, days that I was out there on the range hitting some balls myself and seeing you run various, uh, you know, kids programs and so forth. And I know you've been doing it for years. Um, but what was it specifically that you enjoyed? What was it about teaching the kids? I mean, this is something that I know some pros do, but a lot of them don't. They don't really get into it unless they're dealing with, uh, you know, juniors that are uh, highly competitive and what. But you, you taught everybody um, at all different levels. But um, you really seem to enjoy. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your kids' programs. What were some of the things that you really wanted to focus on? Well, let's put it this way. I, w- I wanted to focus on, believe it or not, growing the game. That was my whole stick, and that's what my stick has been for 25 years. I was running a kids' project up in Ohio. I was running a little kids' golf course. It was actually a championship golf course called Little Thunder, and it was built for kids 6 to 12 years old. And when I say built for kids 6 to 12 years old, this was championship caliber golf. They took a course and they built it downsized for kids. Uh, it was great. So I ran that thing for about three years. But by running it, I was very fortunate. I got invited to golf 2020. 99, 2000, 2001, I was there as a guest. Not as a guest, but I was a participant. Uh, because why? Because I had that project there with the golf. And Ruff and Beck would say, yeah, these guys need to know what you're doing, what you got going on up there. So guess what? I'm up there running a golf course. But uh, just like teaching, yeah, before that, I was stealing anything I could from anybody. But then when it came with the kids, I in going to golf 2020, I said, well, if you're going to go to this game, how, how are you going to do it? And I said, well, my, my idea is, hey, do it for the kids. you got to go. The right. kids are our future. If, if I can get the, the kids hooked on it, then we could do something with this thing. So after three years of golf 2020, listen to all the guys talking about it, all the different ways, the women are next, this, that, and the other thing. I said, hey, listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to go out and do it. So that's yep. how I actually started off doing it. And, and, and at that time, that's when the snag equipment came along with, uh, with Terry and Wally years ago. Yep. And uh, I said, I could, take, I could teach any place. I could teach on the beach, in the parking lot, in the church. I can do anything. So where I differ from the pros, the other pros, 
I go out into the community. Any place I've ever been, I go out in the communities and I got into the schools. Why? Because I had this equipment that would allow me to do that. So that's how the program all started. But it was all based on if I'm going to grow this, I've got to grow through the kids. And basically that's been my business plan for the last 25 years. If I get the kids and when I go into a school, I started off down in Naples doing that, and I think I did, what, 87,000 kids in Collier County in the time that I was down there. Uh, but I, once I get into one school and they saw the program, the next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting invited to the next one and then the next one and then the next one. But think about that. The first thing I do any place I go is I've got to find a golf course they can let me bring the kids back to. And down, down there right. was Arrowhead allowed me to do that. So I went down there and I bring the kids back there, start with the clinics. And you can understand this. Who brings the kids to the clinics? Mom or dad or grandma or granddad. Well, guess what? Right. If you're teaching it right, okay, all of a sudden they're looking at it. Next, uh, you say six to ten kids there in a clinic environment. Next thing you know, you're, you're teaching one or two of them individually. Next thing you know, you're mm-hmm. teaching mom or dad. Next time you teach grandpa. So you, it just snowballs and it grows. It, it was logical to me to do that. So and then it just expanded. It expanded from there. Expanded from there as far as building building a business. So it's you get the kids, you get the adults to go with them. Then your name gets out there. You start teaching, and I don't advertise. I haven't advertised in ten years. Okay, it's it's all word of mouth. But the courses love what I was doing because think about this: I'm not sitting behind that desk waiting for the phone to ring or someone to come in looking for a lesson. I'm going downtown. I'm going to knock on every single door that's got to do with kids, whether it be the YMCA, whether it be the Boys and Girls Club, whether it be whatever. That was my market, and that market expanded very, very rapidly. And, uh, you know, I stopped counting, I think, about 10 years ago when I did what? I, I did over 200,000 kids myself, one pro in, a, in there. So if you don't think you can build a business, you can do it. I mean, very, very easily. And guess what? I'm starting the same thing all over again right here in Lakeland. And it's already started you know, to happen. Already started to happen. You know, Ty, it's, it, it's interesting that you say that because you're exactly right. I don't know how many times, you know, I've seen courses, and I know you have as well, where they literally, you know, open up the doors in the morning. The pros are, sit, you know, standing around. They might have lessons in that, but they're waiting for everybody to come to them. They're not going out into the community. And what really caught my eye in, in some of the things that you sent me is you talked about kids in schools uh, that obviously yep. leads to them coming out at the golf course. and. You know, and it's great. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great junior programs out there, um, you know, getting them to, you know, go through the different levels and, and hopefully one day if they're good enough, um, you know, make it into uh, collegiate golf and whatnot. Uh, but the truth of the matter is I had a friend of mine who actually interviewed 100 school kids. I think it was middle school out in California. And he asked them to raise their hand, how many of them play? And these are, you know, 13, I think, in that range, 12, 13 years old. And he said, how many of you play golf? And I think he said about four or five out of the 100 raised their hands. And it raised an interesting point is the fact that despite golf being as, as big as it is, you know, with the tours and things like that, it's still one of the very few sports out there that does not have a big representation in the school system here in America. What can we do to change that? Well, don't tell the you know don't tell the tour that you know they still got their in school program that was run out of by Finchon's office up when they hired Ben Cawthorn from uh, from Snag to do it. They sent out all the Snag equipment to like example uh, Orange uh, down here in Lake uh, in um, uh, Orlando. They gave eight hundred sets of clubs, sets of the the uh, of the equipment to the school system. Okay, where did they get the money for that? 
the guy, the local guy that was running the tour stops down here, was basically said, "Hey, you're going to take the money out of the money you're going to use to run that tournament, and you're going to basically get the equipment for the schools and tell the schools they're going to get the equipment for nothing, but they're going to have to do our program." Hate to tell you this, but the only problem with the program is that take the book and the binder that you got to use to do that. I'd venture to say most of that equipment is still sitting in closets, still sitting in closets. How do I know that? I know PE teachers. I've known a lot of them over the years. And when I was in the uh, the Dixie section, they'd call me when a school would call and say, hey, listen, we got this equipment, but we, we, we can't do this thing. Can you show us? Can you have send someone to us uh, that can show us how to use this stuff? All I did is I took, you know, Wally's program and, and, and Terry's program, and I modified it so that it could work. And yep. here's another thing, uh, 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 Ted. A lot of these young pros right now, think about this. They've never taught kids. They don't mm-hmm. know how to teach kids. Okay, and years ago, I think it was about 15 years ago that they took it out of the teaching manual when they changed instructors at the national level. Okay, they took it out of the teaching manuals, that old first swing program where the kids, where you hang an elephant's trunk and just, you know, stand in front of them. Okay, you do it left-handed, they do it right-handed, and guess what? A kid is going to imitate what you, what you do. What you do. And that's what I got. I got a lot of guys that follow me on Facebook because they watch how I do this. So I'll turn around and say, uh, it took 30 seconds to build a golf swing for a kid, and I just proved to you. I said, you want to build it? It's just simple. One, two, three, four. And uh, that's what the program was named. It was called Building Swings for a Lifetime. That wasn't named by me. That was named by the, the president of the Aloha section uh, years ago when I got called in. He actually set the meeting up with PGA at uh, one of the shows and said, hey, we need to pay attention to what this guy's doing. Okay, and mm-hmm. uh, and then – he said, you know, he said the one. He says this guy's building swings for lifetimes. Says, hey, I kind of like that. You just named my program, so I call it building swings with the number four a lifetime. I just get the kids in four positions, and that's it. But uh, when I go out there with the clinics, I might have ten, fifteen kids in front of me in the schools. I could have uh, eighty kids in front of me. Guess what? The kids that want to do it, okay. Guess what? They'd follow right along with me, and you'd be looking at golf swings. Okay, now it doesn't mean you're going to hook all those kids. That's a darn sure, okay? But guess what? You get 10 or 15 or 20 of those kids that come up at the golf course, and the schools were very nice to me. They sent home a flyer telling the guys that, hey, listen, it's such and such a golf course. It's going to be a, a clinic every Saturday morning for such and such. And I always kept the price down for the kids, always kept the price down for the kids. Okay, and that's, that's one thing I don't agree with with some of these other pros is you don't give a kid anything for free. They'll abuse it. Okay, and guess what? If you don't have that kid take some money out of his pocket, uh, to, I don't care if it's five bucks or ten bucks. By the way, I charge ten, bu- I charge ten bucks per clinic. They sign up mm-hmm. and they do six clinics for sixty dollars. Okay, and uh, they're never going to lose that because it's run continuously. So if they take a couple weeks off for some reason, they can't come out. They don't lose it. It goes on the other side. But guess who keeps mm-hmm. that thing going? The mom, the mom's network is the best network you ever have out there. They keep <laughs> right. the darn thing going. They keep they keep people going. So. If you do it right, and I'm not saying that because I'll never question what another teacher's doing. I really won't. I let I let their, their students question what they're doing. But if you do a program the right way, guess what? You're never going to have a, you, you know, like I say, I've never, they say what? Do something you love, you're never going to work another day in your life. I haven't worked for 20-something years. I just love what I'm doing. And it starts with the kids. If you know how to work with a kid, okay, and if someone wants a hint out there or a tip out there, I'll tell you what. There's two things that you want to do with a kid that you can get real, real easy with, Okay. Number one is build that swing, real easy to do that, and then you feed him anything that has to do with golf. My five-year-old kids can, can 
they can explain a golf club, every piece of the golf club better than the high school kids can. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because no one teaches it. Okay? You got a golf swing, but you better understand that damn golf club because if not, you can have trouble. He's going to set up problems for you. And I'm not only talking to kids. I'm talking an adult. You know, half yep. the adult lessons that I have, it's, it's, a, it's a club problem or they're not set up this way, they're not set up that way. But it's it's, it's kind of crazy, you know. Uh, but all I need with kids, anybody, is an attention span and basically comprehension, okay? Uh, you like this one. Even at the schools, I get a lot of the phone calls and say, hey, listen, uh, um, how young should I stop my kid or when should I bring him out there? My standard answer is this. I don't check ID cards. Mm-hmm. I said, you bring that kid out to me. I'll do an intro lesson with him. I charge for that, a small amount of money. Spend a half an hour with the kid, but I want the parent right there with me. And guess what? All right? Nine times out of ten, that kid's the father's standing there after about a minute looking at the kid standing on his back toe in a golf swing. Why? Because he just copied everything I just did with him. So the kids, number one, they can imitate what you do. That's real important to understand. But the other thing is this, is, their, is that their attention span is only six or seven minutes. How did I learn that? Yeah. Work with PE teachers in the schools. So what I do, mm-hmm. if they come to my clinic and you see me at the Highlands, they're not hitting balls the whole yep. freaking time. Okay. No. Every eight minutes, I change, I change, change uh, uh, gears on them. So, yeah. But, uh, I, but a lot of I think guys, a lot, they, they haven't had this. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think a lot of adults need to, <laughs> to do that as well because it, it, it's true. It, it, you raise a really valid point because even adults' attention spans these days, you know, it, it's hopping back and forth. And I think, you know, we yeah. see, and you've seen this many times, where, where they're on the range. And they're beating balls, you know, a bucket or two of balls for an hour. And then they might yeah. you know, meander on to the putting surface and putt a few. You never see them going into the bunker, you know, the practice bunker, uh, or working on their chip shots. You know, some do, but a lot of them don't. They just hit balls and that's it. Um, and they're just, they're not even going through a pre-shot routine. They're not doing anything. And they, you can tell they're bored. Um, so, you know, I think that's a good lesson really for, for any uh, student out there, regardless of the ages, you know, mix it up, do something different and don't just get into a routine where you're doing something mundane, especially if you're, you know, a, a 25 handicap. I mean, you know, if you're just beating balls all the time, you're not going to really get any better. Um, and, and I want to go back to something real, real quick, because you mentioned about some of these younger pros. I think one of the problems, and, and I'm, listen, I'm all for, you know, it's, it's interesting to see a lot of the, the technology and, and things out there. It's kind of, you know, you saw it, I'm sure when you were down at the PGA show this last January, uh, it's kind of interesting. Some of it's exciting. Some of it's just, you know, crazy. But uh, do you think the part of the problem with some of these young, newer pros out there, and probably one of the reasons why they have such a difficult time with kids, is they're so wrapped up in this technology that they're not really getting involved with the student as they are with the, with the technology they're using. What are your thoughts there? That's part of it. But most of the guys that I've had experience with, you know, at the, at the closest places that I've been, Mostly it hasn't been the technology aspect of it. It's just that they they get in the business. All of a sudden they find out they're in the business and they're either in the back room for six months or a year or they're other. Then they graduate, they get into the shop, that kind of thing. And they're just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, either answering the phone or, or, or you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden they say, gee, this isn't really, really, really what I signed up for. I mean, uh, uh, the, the old thing with the pro again, this goes back years and years. You know this. You got golf mm-hmm. professionals, you got professional golfers. I didn't want to be yep. a professional golfer. I didn't want to practice eight mm-hmm. hours a day. I sure as hell right. wanted to be a golf professional. Tell me what I got to do to to do the business. But then in the same token, once I get into the business, I said, hey, listen, 
the real fun is teaching. I want to teach. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I've stolen from every friggin' guy in the world, starting with Manuel De La Torres. I owe that guy so much money and a lot of these other guys. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that you develop your own teaching style of what you do. And you laugh at this one, but guess right. what? I tell all my students this, my adults. I have one today. I'm just going to teach you like you're a kid. You're a big mm-hmm. kid. That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you. And guess what? I get yep. in front of a mirror, okay? And what I do is I have, just like any other pro, I have my hair. Show me what you got, you know? And another thing with lessons, I'll give guys a hint if they want to, they want to do something with this. You got to produce when you got that guy's in front, when you got that guy in front of you. So when you get in front of you, when you guys call me for lessons, you know, I'll talk to them. I'll say the same thing. If I get a call from them, I'll say the same thing. I said, listen, I said, I just want an hour of your time. That's all I want. Because I want to get to know you, and you want to know whether I'm going to be able to take care of you and get you where you want to go or what you want to do, whether it's, to, whether it's to fix something or to build you as a golfer. I'd better be able to show you how I'm going to do that in the first lesson. And guess what? Yeah. After the first lesson, I say, you want to pay me for one lesson or you want to pay, pay me for this? And here's how I tell them. I say, I teach in chapters. You're not going to get the whole damn book the first time right. you, while you, when you're out here. Okay? First, first lesson is going to be what? And the, the lot of, well, so I go back to the other guy. The other kids in the shops and stuff like that, they don't realize it. I said to them, hey, listen, I'll tell you what. Here's what you want to do. You say you want to live, make an extra money. You get one or two days off. Would you be willing to do this? Take you, take you one day off, and we're going we're gonna to go into a school. I'm going to bring you into a school with me. I'm going to show you this school program. And now what we'll do is, guess what? Next Tuesday night, we're going to tell the school that you're going to start a clinic at the golf course at 5 o'clock at night. Guess what? He's got a clinic on Monday night if he wants it, if we're doing mm-hmm. it right, and we're going to do it right, okay? Because what I do in the schools, with, whether it be in the most guys I've ever had in front of me, believe it or not, I've had 150 third graders out in front of me, okay, it, uh, mm-hmm. when I was, in uh, again, back in Alabama, okay? I had 150 kids. I was like a band director in the football field. I stood up there on the, the <laughs> platform. I led the guys through the elephant's trunk in the one, two, three, four. And they're all looking at this. This is the elementary school. The middle school PE teacher came over. He was watching it. He walks up to me and he says, would you be willing to come back and do the, and do the uh, middle school kids? Sure. Once you get it, if, you, if, if a guy plays golf and they see what we're doing with that program, guess what? It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's easy. But what I'm getting at is that most of these guys, well, gee, you are too hard doing that. I don't want to do that. Well, fine. You don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. But it's going to lead mm-hmm. to you getting your own business and, and developing it. And if I want to teach you all adults right now, I could do that, but I don't. I, I love working with the kids, and I especially like working with special need kids, autistic kids mm-hmm. and, and, guys like, and kids like that. To me, it's great. I think I get more out of it than they do. But, uh, so but talk anyway, about that. I just see this. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Talk about that a little bit because I know you've done work with, as you said, the special needs kids and that. Obviously, you, you, there's a certain uh, enjoyment of helping these uh, youngsters that, that obviously have some of their own challenges out there. What do you do, if anything, differently with them? How do you um, deal with some of those uh, special needs and, and yet still get them to have fun? Because obviously it can be challenging. I mean, even for the best of the best, it can be challenging. So how do you overcome that? How has it been successful for you? A lot of that challenge comes, comes with the parent, not with the kid. You okay? Right. I'll have someone call me for an individual lesson. A lot of this, and this is not to badmouth this, but homeschoolers, a lot of those kids mm-hmm. are being homeschooled because they're having trouble in the regular schools. So the, the parents pull them out and stuff like that. It's not, it's not that there's something wrong with the kid. It's just that that's what ends up happening. Well, all of a sudden one comes, comes from your lesson, 
I'll tell you what, in about 10 minutes, okay, five or 10 minutes, I can tell you whether the kid's autistic or not or whether he's going to have a problem learning, that kind of stuff, because the kid's jumping all mm-hmm. over the place, he's doing whatever. So you recognize the sign. That's easy to pick out. But, you know, I'll get done with the lesson and say, well, uh, you know, when uh, uh, has he had his medicine today? Well, he had his medicine this morning because we had to go do something else. Well, his medicine is worn off now. You see where I'm coming from? Yep. So next thing you know, yep. I'm, I'm, I've got the brunt of that right there. But with that, it's 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 looking at the level of the of. That's why I say bring them to me so I can see what you what I got to work with. I got to know that with anybody, whether it's a kid, whether it's an adult, whether it's someone uh, with a special need. I got to know what I'm working with, and then I got to see what I can get them to do. That's kind of logical, okay? You got to get them to do what they're capable of doing. I can't give them a guy that looks like Rory McIlroy for all that when he can't get the club get the club above his shoulder or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But think about that. I use that same teaching method with the adults, by the way, but I get in front of a mirror when I do it, okay? So they're going to get in the four positions. I'm going to find out what I can get them, and then we kind of go from there. But but getting back to the kids, uh, I've got I've got parents where once your name gets out that you can do this stuff, you can work with them. Next thing you know, you get called from these parents. Then you work with them, and the key is to work as a team, work with the parent, with the kid, to mm-hmm. find out what you can get the kid to do. I had a kid that had Asperger's. Okay, he's right. probably his his his. He's so much smarter than I was. It's ridiculous. I mean, the, the kid's he's mm. a genius, <laughs> but he'd get on the car, and right. his father knew what I was doing with him. He knew what I was doing. They wanted to get him out there for an hour a week, so they get him away from playing the games and get him out of the house. That's how a lot of this starts. They don't want the kids playing the games anymore. They want to get him out of the house. Well, John right. would go out there with me, and I do a lot of my lessons, by the way, with the kids on the course. Uh, that kind of a thing. You keep a kid in a range long, for a long time, you're not, you're not, you can lose it. He's not going to play golf. Okay, you get him on the golf course, and he ain't quitting. He can be bugging mom and dad about, hey, I want to go back, I want to get back. But getting back, like with John, he'd be sitting on the cart, and I could get this kid to hit a ball. He was a big, strong kid. He was probably 13 years old. Okay, but he'd sit there, okay, and I'd ask him a question, and then about two minutes later, I'd get an answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we'll get, I say, John, get out. Go hit, go hit the ball. Go play this hole. Go play this hole. Okay, uh, I'd force him to go play the hole. Then he get back on. He said, you know, well, uh, let's ride for a while. I'd ride for a while, but then when, if another another hole is up, what I do is, John, go on out and hit a couple of shots. That kind of thing. Okay, mm-hmm. and he'd come in and and his he just a big smile on his face. His father was so happy because the kid was out there doing his thing, but it was finding out what I could get him to do and how I could work with him. All right. Uh, I got Kellen. I worked with Kellen for five years at the Highlands. Kellen's parents brought him to me for the same reason. Why? The kid's autistic. He's on the he's on the social scale. He's afraid of being around other people. Smart kid. Right. They're all smart kids. Mm-hmm. He's afraid around other people. Okay. I get him on the golf course. We play every week. We get, this kid. I I wish I could putt like he does. He's got a pair of hands on him that this kid can putt. All right. But what I'm saying to you is. He's got a beautiful swing as well, but that's what he was capable of doing. And I talk with him. So think about this. When I got a kid on the golf course for now, you don't think we're just going to ride? I'm going to be talking to him. Okay? I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to work with that kid. We're going to become friends. We're going to do this or that. But with Kellen, I came back and I said to his parents, I said, let's set a goal for this year because this kid can play golf. He can play golf. Yep. Here's, what his goal, here's what his goal was. He had he another year to do this. Let's have his goal be to make his high school golf team. Okay, down to Mariana. Mm-hmm. All right, so get on the cart. We what we play, uh, and, and 
you know, he's out there on the golf course, and what am I feeding him the whole time? Kellen, you're out here playing with me because I do play with the kids, by the way. I play with everybody. Right. I play with them because I want them to see some decent shots, and I want them to, you know, talk about those things while we're doing those things. But what I'm saying with Kellen, I'm saying, Kellen, I'm saying you're playing with me, aren't you? Okay. When you're playing on the golf course, who are you playing against? And he kind of looked at me strange. I say, it's you against the golf course. That's the way I think anyway. It's you against the mm-hmm. golf course. It's just you. Okay, you might have a couple other people out there with you, but they're going to be over here, over there. Should they bother you? Should you bother them? Well, no. Well, why the hell don't you go play golf? Okay, right. just because you can play golf. Go hit it. Okay? So so uh, anyway, guess what? He made his high school golf team. Guess what he ended up? He ended up being the number three man on the golf team. He's ecstatic. His parents and mother and father are ecstatic. I, you know, I get all these darn success stories. I mean, you talk about making you feel good, okay, when you see a kid do that and someone like that. But if you don't try it, if you don't know how to work with them, don't be afraid to work with them. That's my biggest thing I said. Don't be afraid to work with these kids It's just or anybody for that matter, anybody. Mm-hmm. You just need to find out what their capabilities are, and then you go to work on those capabilities, okay? Uh, you know, you got a guy that's a scratch golfer that comes to see he's got a problem. He's got a problem, all right. I don't need an hour less with him. I need five minutes. Why? Because he's got such a repeatable golf swing. I want to find out what the hell he's doing wrong. Is it a ball position? Right. You know, is it, you see him coming from, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Those guys, those guys are pretty exactly. easy. But I, but I read yep. the bill golfers. I read the build them. But those, those special need kids, I don't care what it is. <clears throat> okay. And then of course, once you need, you, you, the word gets around, you're doing that. It's fine. And that's the same thing with, you know, working with the veterans, you know, with the whole program. My God, you got to find it. Yeah. What can I do, get this guy to do without him falling over, you know? And then, uh, and then turn them into a golfer that way. But the kids, I call them special because they are special. They really are. But don't be afraid to work with them. Find out what you can do to work with them. It's the same thing whether it be a school program or anything else with them. A lot of these kids think, I dig into business to teach kids. Well, guess what? Kids are golfers. And if you don't, if you don't get any more golfers out there, guess what? That's the future. You don't build your future. You're not no. going to have any golfers. So. Yeah, and, and I think yeah, you're exactly right. And I think, unfortunately, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with with you know wanting to teach the next Tiger Woods and and uh, yeah. you know, But I think a, a lot of professionals focus on that level of of junior golfer where they want to see them getting out. And, and again, there's nothing wrong. Everybody has to have their their forte, if you will. But you yeah. know, the majority of people, as you know, are never going to make it that far. So let's teach the masses to enjoy the game, get out and have fun, challenge themselves. And I like what you said, you know, talking with these youngsters, uh, especially the, the special needs ones. You know, I think a lot of people, teachers included, are, I don't mean afraid as in fearful, but are apprehensive in working with them because there are challenges and they give up too easy. And I don't mean the students or, or the kids. Yeah. I'm talking about the teachers. And I think it, sometimes you just have to meet them where they are and once they that trust builds up and that, that confidence builds up, that they know that, number one, that you're not a threat um, in some cases, but also that you understand what it is um, and, and work with them and communicate with them. That's all they want. They, you know, everybody has the same desire, and that is to, uh, you know, to be loved and to be, um, you know, included and in, in, in that sort of thing. And I think once you cross that barrier process, and it sounds from, from what I'm hearing, and from what I've obviously seen over the years, uh, that's something that you've done very successfully, and that's why, you, you, again, you don't have to advertise. People are coming to you because they recognize that in you as, as a professional, um, that that's something that you recognize very early on 
and and did. I want to talk because you mentioned it, and I want you to just talk a little bit about um, you. Obviously, got involved with the PGA Hope program, which is another uh, uh, area of spectrum, if you will, and particularly here in the, the Wiregrass area, which is um, you know as you mentioned, one of the best in the country. And I agree. Talk about that as well, because that's again, that's obviously very close to your heart, uh, being a veteran yourself. So, how did you get involved with that, and what were some of the the things that you really enjoyed doing the most working with with uh, some of these uh, men and women from uh, from the military. Well, think about this, okay? I hadn't thought about the military for about 25 years. I ain't kidding you, okay? All of a sudden, I'm sitting there watching Fox News one morning, all right, and there's a wounded Marine standing on Fox Plaza. Won't say the name, but he's got one leg, and here's the one sense that caught my caught my man, my attention. Okay, he says. The PGA of America and the Veterans Administration nationally have partnered up in their forming chapters around the United States to combat the issue. That we get, we get uh, 22 guys a day committing suicide. We're using golf as therapy. Mm-hmm. I said, you got to be yep. kidding me. I said, these are my guys. These are the guys that got me promoted, and I'll do anything for my guys. I says, I, as soon as I get that one, I, I called call national. I said, what do I got to do to get one of these chapters? And they were kind of hemming horn on the phone at the other, on the other end of the line. I said, no, no. I says, you don't understand what I'm saying. I says, I'm going to do this with or without you. Okay. Well, they gave me permission to do the chapter on, on over the phone. This is, goes back six years now, by the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. This one they were starting. I think there's like 20, 30 chapters out there. So I got my chapter. Next thing you do, the hardest thing with the HOPE program, by the way, is finding the guys. Finding the guys. Yeah. The, the VA doesn't help us with that. Okay. You got to go out and find them yourself is what you end up doing. So... But what it was is that I finally found a VA clinic, and the doctor down there liked what I, what I told him. as far as going to use it as therapy. I started the program with nine at the Highlands. I started at nine guys with uh, uh, had PTSD, severe cases, and there was a doctor down there that he had sessions with about 20 guys in there a couple days a week. He said, Ty, says, uh, why don't you come in and, and talk with these guys? So I did. I went in, and about two minutes, I told him exactly what I wanted to do. We're going to use golf as therapy combat the issue, and if, if, if I get enough guys to sign up, we're going to do it, okay? I had two guys chase me out of the room. When are we going to start? When are we going to start, okay? <laughs> so I, w- I went back and told Jason at the, at the headquarters, uh, not the headquarters, but talked Jason at the Hounds. I said, Jason, I says, I got nine guys that want to do this. I said, I want to get this thing going, that kind of a thing. He said to me, he said, Ty, I, I'd like to do this. I want to do this with you. Now, he's not a veteran. I said, Jason, right. I said, God bless you. I said, thank you very much. I says, because if this goes away that I can do a program, this thing's going to explode, okay? You don't know Ty yet, <laughs> okay? Uh, but what I'm saying to you is that, it, you know, so that was it. So next thing you know, we're supposed to do an eight-week program. They told you to do it about three times a year, all right? Mm-hmm. So about the third week, the guys were all saying it. Well, you know, how are we going to keep this thing going? You know, what are we going to say? I said, well, I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I'm still going to be here every Monday, okay, if you guys show up, whatever it is, you know, that kind of a thing. Because my thing is once you started this, you can't stop it. What's, 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 right. the, what's the premise behind this program to prevent that number 23, excluding mm-hmm. to 23? That was the number, okay, that, that I had in there, okay? But what I'm getting at, so we started after about the third week, and God love him. Okay, Jason Kamenich at Tyson's. I just talked to Peter Royard at, at, at the trail headquarters. He was vice president of the trail at the time. Okay, he and John, I'm sure John got involved with it as well. You know what they did? They came back and said, you tell those guys to keep that going and it's on us. And it's mm-hmm. on us. 
okay? I said, you got to be kidding me, because I don't do anything without trying to pay things back for things, okay? Well, guess what? Right. We kept the program going. Jason and I talked. Well, guess what? Jason said, let's do a golf tournament. Okay. We went and looked at the board. Okay, here it is October, nothing in October, and then November, and what did my eyes focus on? November 11th, Veterans Day. Right. I said, what better way to support veterans than on Veterans Day? So guess what? We had our first tournament. Okay? Had our first tournament. All right? I, we put on presentations out of there. Uh, I say I because, you know, sometimes it's, it's you know, who did it? It's me and the mouse in my pocket. You know, it's, it's us. But what I'm getting at is that <laughs> we put on, a, uh, we put on a, a performance out there. We had the, we had the, we had got the, the, the high school kids down there. We had the choir down there. We had the color guard down there. We had the Patriots guard out there with the motorcycles. All the flags flooded the whole place with us. And we marched the guys in. We did the national anthem. We did this. We did that. And guess what? I'm talking to my wife. I said, Debbie says, we'll do the national anthem. We'll do this. We'll do that. Because I used to run the honor guard way back when I was a young lieutenant with all the guys coming back. Did a lot of goddamn mm-hmm. funerals. But what I'm saying is that, and I said, well, gee. And then what we'll do is we'll go ahead and I'll get the, I'll get the, the guys out here. We'll get the guns and we'll shoot the guns off. And Deb says, you're going to shoot guns off with guys who got PTSD. <laughs> so I said, "Gee, I better rethink. I better rethink that one." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because that's what they teach you during the training. Okay, you, you you don't do that stuff. So, but but here's the thing. So guess what? I replaced it with. We do taps, right? We did dueling mm-hmm. taps. We had one guy over in the green over here, and one guy in the woods over here. I had three guys that had to go inside. They broke down. They friggin' broke down. Okay. But what I'm getting at is that we put on a show. We did the first tournament. Now, once again, generate, generate for a golf course, whatever it is. We started the program. We did four tournaments when I was there. And, by the way, I did four tournaments for my kids' program, too, because the community got behind it. And what right. did I get the community to support with that? From the parents that I was teaching, when I teach one of the team, what do you do? I, I own a car dealership. Right? I have an insurance company. You file that stuff away. So what I'm getting mm-hmm. at is, I raised, I raised over $150,000 to run the program. Okay. Amazing. Now, remember we, remember what you said they wanted eight week programs and done three times. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I left the Highlands, when I left the Highlands, we had done 312 weeks in a row and we had 20, 22 guys coming out every week. Okay. Guess what? I've been gone for about 40 weeks now, for about 30 weeks now. That money that I left them the money when I left there, so they could continue the program. Okay, so they're up to like 360 right now, weeks in a row, and they still have guys, 20 guys showing up, 20, 25 guys showing up every week. A couple of new ones will show up, this and that, and the other thing. If a program is run right, damn it, run it right. But I could not yeah. think about this one. They're telling me right now to do a program. I've got to do a six-week program. Okay, and then I got to graduate. Then I can't. Then the guys that graduate can't come back to another class. Okay. Well, think about this one. If that guy's got PTSD, and by the way, they've opened it up. They've opened it up to all. I'll probably get in trouble saying, but they've opened up to all military and all um, uh, retired people. No, guess what's right. missing? That number twenty-two. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and by the way, they, they've said that uh, last training I went to, they said that the goal for the P, PJ is to have thirty thousand. Uh, military or veterans in the program by the year 2026. That number, preventing that number 23, okay, versus 30,000, okay. 
But what's even worse mm-hmm. is that say I graduate that guy in six and say you can't come back and three weeks late three weeks later, okay, he uh blows his brains out. I couldn't look myself yeah. I couldn't look I couldn't live with myself if that happened. So what I'm saying is if you're gonna do the program, do the damn thing right. Okay, but now yep. they've opened it up and yeah, you you're gonna do it right. It's just that the, the new program is military and veterans. That's fine. Okay, that's great. I'll do that if they want me to. Okay. But if I find some guys that are really wounded, guess what? I'll figure some other way of getting it, of getting it taken care of. All right. So I got a few heartburns with that. But when I tell people that, they, 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 I don't want to say certain people get upset with me. Well, you're not doing the program the way we want you to do it. Okay. Well, yeah. you kind of changed the program, haven't you? Okay. So, uh, but right now, again, they've, they've got that going. Um, I went over here in Tampa since I've been here. They sent me over there, and I actually worked with a, a young pro over there, great teacher, great teacher over there. And uh, and Aaron, I tell you, the two of us, I, I thought it was a mini-me that we're, we're going together, you know. I was afraid <laughs> to say something cause it was, because he was going to say the same damn thing if I if I didn't say it. So, uh, but but I really enjoyed doing that. But but those are, those are my guys. You know, I was a commander a couple times, okay. Those are the guys that got me promoted where I was. I didn't fly. I had to compete with right. the fly boys to get for promotion, mm-hmm. you know, so – you know, but anyway, but I can still play golf and those guys could, which is great, you know, and when I go to the bases. And uh, like I said, I can hook so, on golf with that in, in the service, and then uh, I'm still hooked on it. When I say he's hooked on it, I'll, you know, if my body would let me do it, I'd go play more. I just can't. But probably nine out of ten of my lessons are done, even with the kids, are done on the golf course. Once I get them ready, they go on the, they go on the golf course. So, uh, but anyway, the, the vet, anything you do for the veterans, the, you know, Go ahead and do it if it makes if it makes you feel good, you know, as far as these other guys out there. But but um yeah, I'm I'm at that stage right now that you you know I'm gonna do my I am gonna do my thing. Whether people like it or not, I'm gonna do it, you know. So but uh, Well and I think it- yeah, I think that's fantastic, and you're you're exactly right. I think you have to. I mean, you know, the veterans have given so much with through their service and have sacrificed. It's the least we could do um, as a, a, a profession to be able to do whatever we can to help them through. Obviously, some very challenging uh, time in their life, and you know, if if they enjoy, um, you know, if, if if golf is helping them, which we it's been proven to to do as as you said as therapy. I know many people that run PGA Hope uh, programs and, and, and others too, but um, it, it's proven to be very effective and we need to do whatever we can. These people are, have made huge sacrifices and have come home and, and um, this is the least we can do. So kudos to you for, for wanting to, uh, to continue on with that. Um, as we get ready, we've only got a few minutes left, but as we uh, get ready to wind down, I know that uh, we talked earlier today on the phone and you're, uh, you're all fired up down in, in South Florida. You're getting ready to do it all, do it all over a, again uh, down there with uh, with Ty Anderson Golf. So what, what have you got in, in the in the fire cooking right now? My wife's yelling at me again. It, it, that's a standard thing. She wanted me to retire for about the last three years, and I say there's no way that I can do that. I need a reason to get up in the morning, and my reason is to get out yep. there and get out there and teach. I just love what I'm doing with that. So I found a, I found a, a five minutes from my house. There's a golf course here, and have my eye on it the whole time I've been here. It's called Sandland RV in Golf Resort. It's got a, the biggest range in town, other than the private golf courses. Okay, but what I'm saying is, it's the biggest range in town. You look up to the right of the town, and there's an RV. There's an RV um, area up there. It's going to be packed come season. It's going to mm-hmm. be packed. Okay. Well, guess what? I'm already getting busy. Already getting busy after the. 
uh, after just being here three months teaching, again, it's been all word of mouth, okay, that uh, I've already started teaching. My ideal day would be to get up, have a cup of coffee, would have a couple of cups of coffee. I like to go to Mass in the morning, 9 o'clock. All my mm-hmm. Facebook friends know that. They go in with me. But what I'm getting is I do that, then I want to do a lesson. I want to go get a work, go have lunch, have get a workout in the afternoon. And that's, that, to me, is a pretty, pretty good damn day, I mean, if I could do that, you know. Uh, but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting a little bit more, <laughs> a little <laughs> busy. So, uh, so they talked to me the other day and said, listen, we, like, we love what you're doing. We want you to do more. We want you to slow down. But see if you can't find a couple of guys that can work with you, uh, you know, to do this thing. He said, we're going to put lights up on the range this winter. Uh, and then we're also going to make some more improvements to the range. But we love what you're doing. Just keep doing it. And I'm scared to death because <laughs> I'm about ready to fall well, over. You know, I ain't kidding when you said you got me when it was almost my bedtime. <laughs> well, you know so, what? Uh, I I yeah. I think it's uh, – I think it's great that you're you you've still got that that um, you know that spark inside of you and and I I'm I'm a firm believer I think if you you know are enjoying something I, I don't look at it as work either you know when you're having fun and you enjoy what you do and you're passionate about what you do you do it until you can't physically do it anymore um, Ty yeah. what's the best way if, if if folks wanted to reach out to you if they're going to be visiting down in your area or they just want to contact you and and have a discussion about that is there a way that they can get a hold of you and and um, through email or, or what have you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, I got to. I haven't changed my, since I left, was in Naples, I haven't changed my phone number. It's 239-272-7086 because I've got guys that, still, that I've worked with over the years that still call me. If they got a problem, I know what their tendencies are. I can, a lot of times I can fix them over the phone. They know I'm going to tell them to take the phone and get in front of the damn mirror and I'll tell you what's going on. Okay, but then uh, my, my email address is very simple. It's typjpro at AOL.com. That's it. I haven't changed that either. But, uh, and, uh, but I've had some of my guys already come down from, uh, from Dalton, come down to see me, which is, which is great. I love the idea with that. But, uh, but again, it's, I just love what I'm doing. It's, it, it's, a, lot, it's a lot of fun what I do. So. Well, keep doing what, keep doing what you're doing and, and keep me posted on how things uh, uh, continue for you. I, I, I you know, you've done so much up here in, in the Dothan area at, at the Highlands for so many years and have helped so many people of all ages, um, particularly the kids, and um, certainly uh, they're going to miss your handiwork here. But, um, again, if you're listening to the program and you want to reach out to Ty, uh, his phone number is 239, area code 272-7086, or you can send him an email, drop him a line at Pro at AOL. Com. Ty, thank you very much for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure, and I hope you come back and, and visit me again on the show. And, uh, again, keep me posted. You've got my uh, email and contact information. Keep in touch and let me know how things go. And anything I can do to help, uh, I'm always uh, there to do that. And please continue the, the work, not just with the, with the kids, but also with the, uh, those in the military that could, could use our help. Uh, it, it's something that we all have to do to, to pay them back for the service. And, again, Thank you for your service uh, uh, those years ago. But uh, keep doing what you're doing. Enjoy it. And, and Deb, if you're listening, uh, just let the man do his thing. He enjoys doing it, and uh, he's, <laughs> he's going to do it anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. Ted, once again, I, I, I thank you so much for letting me do this. I just love doing this. I really do. So I, 
you know, I don't like to upset people, but <laughs> as I said before, but some, I'm going to tell, I just tell like it is, is at least the way I feel it is anyway. So, but, uh, but I love what way. I do. And uh, yeah. And uh, once again, thank you so much for letting me do this. Okay. Pleasure. Uh, a pleasure. And uh, I'll have you back uh, again uh, real soon, but uh, Ty, thank you very much. Have a great evening, get some rest and uh, get up and do it again tomorrow. And we'll talk to you real soon. I will do that. Appreciate you having. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, Ty Anderson joining me from South Florida. Uh, again, a, uh, a PJ professional. Many years uh, worked at the Highland Oaks uh, Golf Course at the Robert Trent's, one of the Robert Trent Jones, uh, part of the golf trail here in Alabama. I've been there for over 16 years, as he mentioned, working uh, with uh, kids of, of all ages and, and uh, obviously uh, with some special needs kids as well, helping them. Uh, and and folks uh, that uh, just want to improve their game and uh, obviously done some great work through the PJ Hope program uh, in the Wiregrass area here as well uh, with many of the veterans. Um, also want a special thanks to Clint for joining me earlier on the Coach's Corner panel. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. Uh, remember, you can always go back and listen. This is a broadcast, of course, is live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, but if you missed the broadcast or you're tuning in late, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. And you can just scroll down to the on-demand section, and all of the shows are, are there in their entirety, uh, the recorded version, and tonight's will be there shortly after it finishes compiling. And uh, one quick uh, note before I let you go. Uh, for those of you, the uh, time's running short here. We've only got a couple of weeks left uh, to get you booked up. But if you're interested in going uh, to Golf Tips, uh, three-day special golf school being held at the Macklemore uh, Golf Resort in Georgia, you need to reach out to me ASAP. Just send me an email. It's editor golftipsmag at gmail.com, or you can give me a call at area code 850-238-6130. I'll give you all the details. Definitely a great opportunity. There's going to be three of the top 25 instructors from Golf Tips Magazine are going to be there. Uh, some great gifts uh, that are going to be provided as well for those attending. Uh, limited spots are available, great accommodations, great food, and it's a, uh, going to be a fantastic experience. Uh, get some good golf in some definitely top-notch instructions. So make sure you reach out to me again. That email is editor.golftipsmag uh, at gmail.com. That's editor.golftipsmag at gmail.com or call me at 850-238-6130. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great holiday weekend. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel, and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.